Welcome to The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina. Today, you are going to learn how to outsmart emotional eating and live a life of happiness and joy without giving up the foods you love. Now, here is Dr. Nina. Hi there. Welcome to The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina. I'm your host, Dr. Nina Savelle Rocklin, psychoanalyst, and I am here to help you liberate yourself from emotional eating, take control of your life, and feel good in your body, all without dieting, spending hours in the gym, or counting a single macro. Today's topic is empowered eating, how to gain more control over food. So let me ask you, do you feel as if you have no control over food? Maybe you make promises to yourself every day, vowing to be good with eating. And sometimes you may even do well for a day, a week, or longer. But eventually, your willpower fails and you end up binging and gaining back all the weight you lost. Or you eat healthy all day but you just can't stay out of the kitchen at night. You feel as if you have no willpower or control. Yet, here's the thing. Binge eating disorder is not about control. It is not about willpower, and it's not even about food. That's right. Let me tell you the three reasons why we tend to binge. So the first is if we don't get enough to eat during the day, we may end up being so ravenous that once we start eating, it's hard to stop. And it's also hard to know when we're full until we've actually eaten too much. And by that time, it's like that, oh, I just binged. I feel terrible. The second is we may eat for the wrong reason. We may binge for the wrong reasons, such as to calm down when we're upset or to get energy when you're tired. You know, when, you, when you're when you kind of lagging in the afternoon and you're like, oh, let me grab some candy and then some more and some more and some more and pretty soon it turns into a binge. Or three, we may eat as a way of coping with difficult and uncomfortable situations, conflicts, and emotions. So binging makes us feel out of control, but to create lasting change, it's important to look at why, the why is everything, Why are we turning to food instead of focusing on what we're eating? Instead of focusing on what you're eating, focus on what's eating at you. And when we're constantly overwhelmed and struggling to keep up with the demands of work, family, and other commitments, it can feel like everything in our lives is just spinning out of control. And often we focus on feeling powerless over food instead of looking at areas of our life that aren't working or where we feel that same sense of powerlessness. It gets displaced. Let me give you an example. Ginger. Not her real name. Nobody I ever talk about on my shows, I'm I'm not giving their real name. Uh, so she she recently went through a really painful time in her marriage after discovering that her husband had a gambling problem. And she felt like her life was in a real tailspin. She said, oh, I had no idea what was going on. No idea, no clue. And she only found out about this gambling addiction after he lost a significant amount of their hard-earned savings. And he had to come to her and confess. And she shared how upset she was about this, how upset she was. She'd saved so long. She'd worked so hard. They both had. 
And then she stopped herself as she was talking about how upset she was at her situation and with her husband. She stopped herself and she, it, it, she, she was really quiet. And then when she spoke, this is what she said. She said, you know what? I'm actually mad at myself because I can't stop eating chips. I am so out of control with chips. So Ginger felt powerless over the situation with her husband, yet instead of recognizing, when she recognized, instead of like really processing how mad she was at him and how disappointed in all the things for hiding his gambling problem and losing so much money, she turned against herself by focusing on her lack of control over food, in this case, chips. This is called displacement. Experiencing stress, anxiety, and a sense of powerlessness in some areas of our lives, it leads us to focus instead on what we're eating, what we weigh, all of those things which we supposedly can control. At least we think we at least we think we can control it. Um, so feeling out of control in some parts of our lives gets displaced into feeling out of control over food because you can't control what your husband or someone else is doing, but you sure can, at least in theory, control what you're doing with food. So remember this, you have the power to change your life, even if it doesn't feel like it. When life feels like it's spinning out of control, it is easy to get overwhelmed and that powerlessness is amplified when life throws you a curl curveball like it did with ginger. Um, and we find ourselves, all of us, we, we face unexpected obstacles, illnesses, job loss, relationship difficulties, all kinds of situations. I mean, we all know what it was like to face a worldwide pandemic that totally upended our lives and reminded us of the limitations of our own sense of empowerment. And even without that, you know, sort of a single and unexpected massive stressor, our everyday lives can feel chaotic. From the demands of work and family to our own expectations of ourselves, just getting through the day can sometimes feel like an uphill battle. But fortunately, there are steps we can take to regain a sense of control over our lives. And when we are more empowered in areas of our lives, we are less likely to use food for comfort, for distraction from what's bothering us, or as a way of kind of enacting our powerlessness. No more displacement, right? So often we, we talk about wanting to be in control, and this can mean different things to different people. So the definition of being in control means having the power to make decisions that impact your life, both in the present and in the future. And feeling that sense of empowerment or a sense of agency, it gives us the strength to hang in there when we're challenged by the messiness of life. And with that sense of control or, or sense of empowerment comes greater ease. And with greater ease, of course, you're less likely to use food to cope. So having control over aspects of your life also means having confidence in yourself, trusting your decisions, believing in yourself, even when you're going through difficult times, I would say, actually, especially when you're going through difficult times. So taking back the reins of your life, getting behind the driver's seat of your own vehicle on the road of life is possible. You just need the right guidance. 
So the first step in cultivating that sense of control is coming to terms with the reality. And this is tough. This is a tough one. Just telling you. Coming to terms with the reality that we cannot change some situations and some people. The only thing you have power over is yourself. So what does that mean? It means your attitudes, your efforts, your decisions about how you spend your time or how you choose to respond to various situations. It's completely up to you. That doesn't mean you have control over your emotions, by the way. Our emotions are simply reactions to situations. We can't decide not to be upset any more than we can decide to be happy. But we absolutely can. We can choose how to respond to ourselves when we are upset. Right? So let me go back to Ginger as an example. So she was furious at her husband. She was disappointed in him. And when she realized that she had turned all of that anger and disappointment at him onto herself for eating chips, and by the way, if you follow me or you're familiar with my food mood formula that I talk about in my book, The Binge Cure, and many other places talk about the, the food mood formula, anything with a crunch is associated with forms of anger, frustration, annoyance, irritation, anger, rage. So it's not a surprise that she was eating chips. And when she realized that she had turned against herself and getting angry at herself for, for binging on chips, she still felt at a loss. She said, I, I don't want to get mad at my husband and, and scream and yell and throw things. She said, that won't help the situation. It won't get our money back. What's the point? Why would I express my feelings? So Ginger was conflating the reaction of anger with the behavior of screaming and yelling and throwing things. She equated getting angry with yelling, screaming, and throwing things. That To her, those things were synonymous. And why? Because when her mother and stepdad fought, that's what they did. They screamed, they yelled, they, throw, they threw things. It was absolutely scary and horrible. And she didn't want any part of that. In fact, she never expressed any kind of anger or frustration except at herself. Yet the experience of anger, the reaction of anger is just that. It's just a reaction. The behavioral expression of that emotion is what we can control. So Ginger didn't realize that she could feel angry. She could feel disappointed without losing her temper, yelling and screaming and throwing things. She learned there are different ways of expressing anger and communicating with words is one of them. It's actually really the, the, the primary way that we express feelings, any feelings, is to use words. And so she took steps to share with her husband how she felt, and together they made a plan to deal with his gambling addiction. And also, you know, Ginger said there was no point in sharing her feelings with her husband before we talked. She said, what's the point? It's not going to bring my money back. There's no point to this. Why feel my feelings? Well, yeah, you're right. Feeling feelings won't change the situation. It wouldn't put money back in her bank. But we don't express our feelings to change the situation. We express ourselves to, to change the way we feel about 
the situation. For example, kind of a morbid example, but it's, I think, a, a really good one. When someone passes away, when we lose someone, we don't grieve so they'll come back to life. We go through a mourning process and we grieve so that we can come to terms with the loss. Right? We don't, we don't feel our feelings to change the situation. We feel our feelings to change the way we feel about the situation. And also when you have situations that are out of your control, like the behavior of other people, it is easy to feel helpless, like someone's doing something to us. We have no choice. And converting helplessness over these situations to helplessness about food then only makes us feel bad about ourselves. So remember that although some, some aspects of life are beyond our influence and our control, there is almost always something we can do to empower ourselves. We can find new ways to adapt to our situation. We can find new ways to manage people and express our feelings, including situations around food itself. I, I also want to mention the, the idea of, of, of dieting, dieting and the false promise of control and change, because the $60 billion diet industry actually sells us the illusion that controlling our weight will help us control our lives. The idea is that by losing weight, we can make other people like us more. By losing weight, we will be more in control of our bodies and by extension, our lives. If we lose weight, we'll actually lose the parts of ourselves we don't like. If we're shy, why? We'll become outgoing. If we don't have friends, oh, we are going to be social butterflies. You know, I mean, imagine what a fantastic superpower it would be if we could manage aspects of our lives, including other people's behavior simply by changing the number on the scale. What power? What control? What an illusion. It's a lie. It's a $60 billion lie peddled by the diet and wellness industry so that people keep dieting. Industries sell things not so you don't need it anymore. We, car makers, car manufacturers don't make cars to last forever. They make cars to last only a certain amount of time so that we'll need another car. The diet industry wants to sell us a new diet, or more than a new diet, every single year. Dieting is also inherently about some kind of deprivation. And when we restrict certain types of food or, or certain food groups, that creates a sense of deprivation which leads to a preoccupation with all the foods we're denying ourselves. And over time, those cravings can become really intense and they're really challenging to resist, which leads to a loss of control, you know, because it, dieting is about, is about willpower. And after a while, your willpower will fail and you will eat the thing. And then you will think, oh, I blew it. I might as well eat all the other things I haven't been eating. And there you go. You're on a full-blown binge. And deprivation also leads to anxiety, which makes us more likely to turn to food as a source of comfort or relief. 
restricting food also leads to more hunger, which makes us more likely to lose control and overeat or binge when we finally allow ourselves to eat, which leads to guilt and shame around food. And by eating food, we consider bad or off limits. We feel like we failed when we eat those foods, and then we can be vulnerable to self-criticism. And that makes us feel bad. We're, we're attacking ourselves. And then you turn to food just to manage your guilt and shame and even escape your own mean voice, and the cycle just continues. Dieting itself, by the way, is also stressful and anxiety-producing. Just dieting. When we constantly think about what we can have and what we can't have, we feel stressed, we feel upset, we're on edge, sometimes we're hungry, we get hangry. And eating can be a way of managing this stress. So therefore, there are many ways in which deprivation and restriction leads to being out of control with food. That is why it is called the diet binge cycle, that horrible, horrible cycle. You go on a diet, you go off the diet, you end up binging, you're filled with self-recrimination, you go back on the diet, rinse and repeat. So we want to break that cycle. The truest sense of empowerment actually comes from making choices about various aspects of our lives, not by changing our weight. I got to say that again. Changing weight may make you feel empowered. But really, there are so many areas of your life that you can make choices about. You can make decisions. You can feel empowered. And they are so much more powerful and meaningful and purposeful than changing the number on the scale. So to feel more empowered, focus on situations where you have a choice about how you respond. Realizing what's actually in your control can help you decide and, you know, you, you can more effectively use your time and energy. So when we come to terms with the aspects of life we can't control and at the same time become more intentional about the areas we can control, we feel more empowered. We feel more in control. So for Ginger, that meant taking steps to regain a sense of, of agency of efficacy over certain parts of her life. Setting financial boundaries with her husband was one of the things she did, along with something else. What was that something else? She took piano lessons. She had always wanted to learn to play the piano, and it was always something she would do one day. One day, I'll learn to play the piano. One day, but that day never came because she was always doing things for everybody else, and she never had the time, and there were all always so many excuses. But when she became empowered, she decided to make the time. So she started taking piano lessons and she loved it. And she also focused on self-care. She felt more empowered and she stopped using food. She stopped eating for solace, for satisfaction, for comfort. And also Ginger sought support. She joined a group of people whose significant others also had a gambling addiction. And talking to other people in a similar situation was incredibly helpful. Sometimes when we struggle, we feel like we're the only ones out there. And it feels so shaming and so shameful and humiliating. 
But when you talk to other people in a similar situation, it's so helpful. It's such a relief. So Ginger felt less alone and more understood and got a lot out of the group. I, I, I've seen this over and over in, in my groups. Uh, I remember once someone shared and she, she, she was so scared to share. She said that she was afraid if she shared what she, she, she shared what she was about to tell us that we would all be so horrified and disgusted that we would kick her out of the group. So I was thinking, oh my gosh, like, what is she going to say? Does she murder puppies? I mean, what, how, how bad can it be for, for us to have to make her leave the group? And what she said was that she would often in, at night after her family went to bed, she would sneak back into the kitchen and she would go through the trash and she would eat the food that had been thrown away from dinner. And she could barely look at everybody in the Zoom room as she shared this. And she just said that she, she, she had to share this. It was, it, she, she couldn't keep this secret anymore. She had to share with the group just how truly horrible she was. And you know what happened? Just about everyone in the group said, oh my God, I've, I've done that. I thought I was the only one. I've done that too. It's so shameful. It's just the worst feeling. Like you just feel like you're compelled and 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 it, it's such a self-loathing action. And we talked about it and she felt better and everybody else felt better. I guarantee you, whatever it is that you are going through in your life, somebody else is going through the same thing. And when you find a, a, a group of people, if you have the courage to reach out, and talk to other people who can share your situation, you will feel less alone and more understood and get a lot out of the group as Ginger did. So if you feel as if you lack control over food, concentrate on areas where you feel empowered. Instead of thinking about your weight, about food, or instances where you have no control and you feel powerless in your life, Focus your, your mind on the areas where you do have choices. And I'm not saying instead of. I'm not saying, oh, forget those areas where you have no control. Just focus on the areas where you do have control. No, that would be silly. That would be denying reality. It's like when we, when we feel bad, posit toxic positivity says, oh, forget feeling bad. Just feel good about the positive things in your life. It's toxic positivity because it's so dismissive. The reality is we need to learn to hold the things that are upsetting to us and also hold the, the things that are hopeful and happy and make us feel good. So yes, there are areas in your life where you feel disempowered, where you don't have control, where you feel helpless and powerless. That is most likely true. And yes, there are areas in your life where you can be and are empowered in terms of how you handle certain situations and just, you know, other areas of your life where, yes, you are the master of your own universe. So hold both. Um, and by doing this and by practicing self-care and setting boundaries, you will feel more of a sense of agency. You will feel more of a sense of control in your life. Yeah. So I am going to give you some powerful strategies to help you do that. The first thing, the first thing to do is to 
set new goals, right? Set new goals. When we feel like our lives are off course, it's easy to feel like, oh, nothing will ever work out. But by pivoting and creating new goals and taking steps to meet those new goals, we feel a sense of purpose and direction. Setting weight loss goals, by the way, or intentions that involve stopping certain behaviors like binge eating or restricting foods, that usually leads to disappointment. Instead, set goals that will create more dimension in your life, that will add interest to your life. So those goals might be, hey, I want to practice more self-care. I want to learn something new, like Ginger's piano lessons. Um, or, or take up a new hobby, or just try something you've always wanted to try, or learn a new language, all of which contribute to a sense of purpose or well-being. Or, hey, I want to go to a meetup and meet some new people, or I just, you know, whatever it is, I want to read that book I've been meaning to read. Whatever it is, think about what it is that you want to do that will add dimension to your life, not, oh, I'm making the goal to lose weight. No. And then, Again, identify the aspects of your life that you can control. And these are your thoughts, your actions, and your choices. Choices and actions are sort of the same thing. And that helps you feel more empowered and gives you a sense of direction. And one way to get clarity and perspective is journaling. I love journaling because it helps you track your progress over time. Yes, sometimes you look back on your journals. All right, I should say sometimes I have looked back on my journals and it's like cringe, cringe, cringe. Oh my gosh. Oh, I don't like what I wrote back then. I was a twit or whatever it was or oh. Oh my gosh, I was that's what I was worried about or whatever it is. But instead of cringing, look at it like wow, look how much I've grown. There are really journaling is a really great way to gauge your growth and your evolution as a person. And it's also a very good way to identify patterns in your life because writing gives you an outlet for expressing difficult emotions in words instead of trying to ignore them, drop them, positive think them away, or symbolically stuff them down with food, which does not work. Setting boundaries is also very empowering, and that means understanding your limits and not allowing other people to overstep those limits. For example, if someone makes a comment or asks you to do something you don't want to do, you can give yourself the opportunity to speak up. Now, it's important to master the art of setting boundaries, which also means saying no, learning how to say no, learning the art of saying no. There is a lot of talk, especially now, about the, the word boundaries. Jonah Hill used quote-unquote boundaries to justify his attempts to control his fiance's Instagram account, right? That's not setting a boundary. That's being controlling. Boundaries are really important, but many people cr cringe Cringe is the day of the the word of the day, right? Um, they cringe at the idea of setting boundaries. They want to keep everyone happy, and the idea of saying no feels like a confrontation or an anxiety-producing interaction. So they don't set boundaries, and instead end up feeling drained, overstretched, or even resentful. And that can lead you turning to food for comfort 
or distraction. So we're about to take a break. And when, when I come back, I'm going to talk more about, well, what exactly are boundaries? How can you set them? So stay tuned and I'll be back in a bit to teach you about the art of saying no. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Are you tired of the endless cycle of dieting and binging? Ready to break free from emotional eating and regain control of your life? Look no further than The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina, the transformative radio show that will empower you on your journey to food freedom. Dr. Nina is here to guide you every step of the way. Join her as she delves into the true causes of binge eating, uncovers hidden triggers, and gives you effective strategies for lasting change. With practical tips and inspiring stories of transformation, The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina will help you nurture a healthier mindset, embrace self-compassion, and rediscover your true self. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina. Have questions for Dr. Nina? Join her on the show at 866-472-5792. That's 866-472-5792. Now back to the show. Welcome back. We are talking about some practical tips to gain more control over food. And we discussed the reasons that we binge um, and how dieting and, uh, dieting creates a false promise of control. And now we're talking about some powerful strategies to help you gain control over your life which then has implications with food. And we were discussing boundaries. And now what exactly are boundaries? It's one of those words where people use it all the time. But what, what does it actually mean? So boundaries are like invisible lines we draw around ourselves to protect our physical and emotional selves. Um, and like think of them as the rules and guidelines we, we set for ourselves and others right? Other people too. And they reference what what behavior is acceptable and what is not. So setting healthy boundaries improves our relationships with other people and it improves our overall well-being. 
and you know, it improves our relationship with ourselves because when you are always saying yes to other other people, you are saying no to yourself. And when you say no to other people, and de depending on the situation, no can be just a uh-uh, or it could be like, no, I think I'd rather do this. We are saying yes to ourselves. When we always do what other people want, or we always capitulate, or we people please, which by the way is a trauma response, the trauma responses, I digress a little bit, but feel the need to just tell you this, trauma response, fight, flight, freeze, and fawn. Fawning means people-pleasing. And when we are people-pleasing and taking care of everybody else, food takes care of us. So it's very important to learn to say no to other people so that you don't deplete yourself and leave yourself empty and angry and then use food to cope or express that emptiness or anger. So here's, here's how you set boundaries. Here's how you learn to set them. First, identify what your limits are. So the, the first step is really to, to understand, well, what do you tolerate and accept and what makes you feel uncomfortable? Right? Like, and only you know what that is. And there's no, there's no right way or, or wrong way. It's just what's right or what's wrong for you. It's totally individual. Also, listen to your feelings. Listen to your, your, listen to that, your instinct and your feelings. If you are upset or anxious, it might be a sign that your boundaries are being crossed. Take those feelings very seriously. They're like an emotional compass that point you in the direction of self-care and self-protection. Often we ignore that little voice that says, mm, that doesn't feel right. We ignore it to our own detriment pay attention, that that part of you really knows what's right for you and what's not right. And the more that you honor it, the easier it will get to, to check in with yourself and say, no, that doesn't feel right to me. Or yeah, yeah, that, that sounds right. Then communicate your boundaries. So when you clearly articulate your boundaries to others, they know what your boundaries are. Nobody's psychic. They're not going to know what your limit is unless you tell them. And remember, so people are not mind readers. It's up to you to let them know what your line is, but that doesn't mean confrontation. Many, many of us are afraid to communicate our limits or set boundaries because it feels mean or it feels... Uh, like, a, like a confrontation. It feels that way, but feelings aren't facts. So let me give you an example of Jackson. So Jackson was getting upset because he was often expected to work overtime. Um, he, he was a salaried employee, so he, he wasn't an hourly worker, so, but he was constantly being told, hey, you got to stay late for this, or we need you to do this project over the weekend, or, you know, all, all of that. And he wasn't getting paid for overtime. It was just part of his job that became ex more and more expected. And at first he told himself, hey, I'm just being a team player. He thought it was a good thing to show up whenever he was asked. Um, but like initially, when he had first gotten the job, he would get calls at 
eight o'clock, nine o'clock at night, and he would answer them and he would help. Yeah, he would resolve people's problems. And they were always super grateful. Oh my gosh, thank you so much. It's late. Thanks for taking care of this for us. But over time, it became expected. So people were calling him in the company, were calling him at eight o'clock, nine o'clock at night. And then they were getting mad at him if he wasn't available to them. So he had created this expectation by trying to be a team player and trying to be nice and not having boundaries that protected himself, he was communicating that they could just walk all over him. And they were. Um, so he told himself that he was just being a team player and it was good to show up whenever he was asked, but he was also eating pretzels. What do you know about crunchy, like ginger and the chips, Jackson and the pretzels, Crunch, crunch, crunch is associated with anger. He, but then he was getting mad at himself for not having more control over food. He thought he had no control over food. He was ignoring his anger about his job situation and taking that anger out on himself. What he actually didn't have control over, or so it felt to him, was um, the, 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 the situation at work and these expectations from his supervisor. Finally, instead of silently suffering and growing resentful and eating a lot of pretzels, Jackson learned to articulate his boundaries. And he said to his supervisor something along the lines of this, I'm paraphrasing because I wasn't there, he just told me. He said, hey, I'd like to talk to you about my work schedule. And when they talked, he told his supervisor that he'd been working a lot of overtime and that it was taking over his life. He understood that there were times when working late was necessary, but he needed to make sure that this didn't become a regular expectation. And he told his boss, from now on, I need to leave at six o'clock on most days unless there's a critical situation. And this is going to help me maintain my work-life balance and make sure that I am at my most productive when I am here. And I will not be answering calls after that time. And he, he communicated that in a very clear, very respectful, and very assertive, not aggressive, assertive way. He explained his position. He set the limit, leaving at six o'clock. And he highlighted how this change would also benefit his productivity. And then he let them know where the line was, right? Now, initially, his supervisor was not happy about this. Of course, he liked it much better when Jackson was answering the phone at nine o'clock at night. But Jackson held his ground, held his boundary, and he got his work-life balance back. And also, he got a bit more respect at work. The next thing to do is practice assertiveness. Right? You're not being aggressive, you're being assertive. It's one thing to, to set boundaries, it's another to enforce them. So if someone crosses a boundary, politely but firmly, let them know. And that's what Jackson did. He was assertive, but not angry. He got his point across, but he didn't back down. Next, take care of yourself. Self-care is a crucial part of setting boundaries. Recogn and that means recognizing that your, your, your needs and your feelings are important and deserve to be honored. There is a saying, I love this saying, it, it, it's so evocative. 
don't set yourself on fire to keep other people warm. Isn't that great? Don't set yourself on fire to keep other people warm. That is a good rule to live by. You matter too. And self-care is saying, hmm, my time matters to me. My downtime matters to me. My work-life balance matters to me. I matter to me. Remember that setting boundaries doesn't make you selfish. It doesn't make you rude. It doesn't make you aggressive. It's about having self-respect and creating mutual respect in your relationships. You have every right to set boundaries for yourself and hold other people accountable for respecting them. Saying no is empowering. And so, so is saying yes in situations when you choose to say yes. When you give yourself the right to have rights, instead of always accommodating other people or protecting them, it is easier to set boundaries. And last is seek support from supportive people, like Ginger did. We often believe we should be able to figure out everything on our own. If, if we seek help, it means we're weak. It means there's something wrong with us. It means we're a burden to other people. This is what inhibits us from reaching out. But connecting with other people can make all the difference. Not only do we benefit, it gives other people the opportunity to be there for us and to benefit from what from us being there for them. It's mutuality, which is a very good feeling for everyone. And online communities are also great for that. Like my Dr. Nina's Food for Thought community on Facebook, it's um, a wonderful place where, you know, no matter what you're going through or where you are in the world, there is someone else who can relate. No matter what your situation, there are always people who can relate to you and they can offer guidance, support, and perspective. Um, the other way of, of feeling more in control is mastering fear. Mastering fear. When life feels out of control, it's easy to be anxious and fear the worst. Fears about the future often lead to anxiety in the present about situations that haven't happened and may not happen. Anytime you say, well, what if this happens? Well, what if that happens? And generally, it's not a what if this wonderful, fabulous, great thing happens. It's what if this bad thing happens? Then you're having real anxiety about a future event. What if is fear about the future? And if you don't have a reliable way to manage your anxiety and your fear, you might turn to food to cope. Instead of focusing on areas where you feel anxious, afraid, or powerless, instead of worrying about what might happen, stay with what is. So if what if, what if is about fear, what is is about facts. It's about what is reality and what you know to be true in the present. And by focusing on the areas of life that you can control, you develop a sense of agency that helps you overcome powerlessness, makes you feel sort of more grounded in your own life and more capable. Um, you trust yourself to take care of the situations that may arise that are unpredictable because there are always, there are always things in life that are beyond our control or unpredictable. But it is also possible to take action when those things happen or just in whatever area of your life that you're, you're dealing with something right now 
and cultivate a greater sense of control over your thoughts, your behaviors, and and even your emotions. Not controlling your emotions, but allowing yourself to express and know what's going on in, in you know, what is your reaction? Take it seriously, express it. And when you do that, you really will feel better, more fulfilled. And when you have a more a more like sense of contentment, you know, you have more empowerment with food. When you feel better in your life, food is not the the thing that you need to cope. It's not something you need to comfort yourself, to distract yourself from, to um, fill a void, to turn emotional pain into physical pain, to reward yourself. So many different things. When you're rewarding yourself by doing some fun thing you've always wanted to do, that's your reward. It doesn't have to be cake. So finding ways to set boundaries, new ways to think about the future, and different ways to relate to yourself in the present makes you feel better, makes you feel more in control of your life. That leads to peace with food. Okay, we have a little bit of time. So I am going to answer a listener's question. If anybody has a question, if you have a question for me, please feel free to to reach out to me. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, I'm everywhere. You can find me in the the links on my show page. Just write me and ask any question that you have. I'm happy to answer it on the air. Okay, so this question is from Kendall from Michigan. She says, can you talk about the link between depression and binge eating? Hmm. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about this link, and um, it's a it's a it's a great question, Kendall. Anyone who's ever struggled with binging knows that feeling of depression after a binge, right? You're doing your best to eat, to exercise right, and maybe you're even having success, you're feeling good, and then before you know it, you relapse, and suddenly you're downing a pint of ice cream or, or a package of cookies, and now you feel guilty, you can't understand why you can't control yourself with food. Now you can understand. And you get depressed. But what comes first? Is it is it depression or is it binging? So um, I also just want to briefly say something about depression because it's used in so many different ways. You know, some people say, "Oh my God, I'm so depressed. My favorite TV show got canceled." Other people say, "Oh my gosh, I'm feeling suicidal. I don't see the point of of living anymore." I'm so depressed. So there are different levels of in intensities of depression from major depression to low level depression. And all forms of depression include at least five of these symptoms. I'm sharing this because it's important to know like when we talk about a binge, what a binge to you might not be what a, a binge is to someone else or what is classically a binge. Like some people say they binge because they ate four cookies. Some people say they binge because they ate 40 cookies. Well, guess what? The 40 cookies is a binge. But the feeling is what matters. Not it's, it's like, oh, well, you didn't actually binge, so it's not worth investigating. Just know what is a binge and what is depression. So depression is a, a sadness or depressed mood, and it's a loss of interest or pleasure in doing the things that you normally enjoy. And it's also changes in appetite, either eating more or eating less. Trouble sleeping, 
either sleeping too much or not being able to sleep or loss of energy or feeling um, kind of a restless energy and feelings of worthlessness, guilt, low self-esteem, difficulty concentrating, making decisions or suicidal thoughts even. Um, so, you know, there are a lot of studies that talk about why there is a, a link between binge eating and depression. And in fact, there was one study that found that 60% of people who struggle with binge eating disorder also suffer from depression. I would say in my experience, that number might be higher, but it's, you know, it might even be higher for anxiety, by the way. And a lot of people have both de mixed depression and anxiety. Um, so, uh, there's also like a, a lot about the science and the brain and all of these things, but I, I really think that the, the true link is, and I say this as a clinician in my 20, uh, 20 years of clinical private, private practice that I look at it more like uh, binge eating is as an escape a way of coping. It's a way of escaping feelings of sadness or guilt or worthlessness or indifference, even if it's temporary. Binging is a way of coping with difficult states, including depression. Of course, then it also causes depression because you get depressed after you do it. So if you, if you find yourself dealing with both binge eating disorder and depression, it is Im important to seek professional help, seek someone who can is is qualified to help you, binge eating disorder specialist. Um, but there are also things you can do on your own to start working through both conditions. One is identify why you are eating, why you're eating. Again, is it physical hunger or is it emotional hunger? Physical hunger is located in our bodies. We feel it physically. Um, growling stomach, lightheadedness, all of that kind of thing. But emotional hunger is located more in our minds. Something sounds good. Something looks good. And the idea is that if you eat that food, you're going to feel emotionally better. So is it, you know, are you binging because you're, you're hungry emotionally? If so, what are you hungry for? And that might be linked to why you are feeling depressed. Depression is about hopelessness. People who are depressed often have lost hope in themselves and their future and even the world around them. But you can restore hope by challenging some of the thoughts and ideas and beliefs that, that you may have when you are depressed. Because when you're depressed, it may be hard to believe that there's ever going to be a time when you're not depressed. And then when you are not depressed, sometimes it's hard to believe there will be a time when you get depressed again. So really track the, your thinking. And a lot of people who are depressed have thoughts like, it's always going to be this way. Nothing's ever going to change. I'm always going to struggle. Things like that. So if you have a thought like, oh, I feel bad and it's always going to feel bad. Well, that's depressing right there. So that just amplifies and intensifies the depression. So really notice your thinking because thoughts and beliefs lead to feelings, lead to behavior. If you're thinking nothing is ever going to change, 
I'm doomed. I'm going to feel like this forever. There's no point. And because it's, it's, it's never going to change. You're going to feel hopeless and helpless and horrible. And you're going to want to get away from that feeling. Binging puts you into what I call the binge zone. I've heard people call it many different things. The binge zone. One person said, it's like the dead zone. It's like, I am dead. I'm going through the motions. It's like, I'm not even in my body. But that binge zone is when you don't feel anything. And it's preferable to not feel anything than it is to feel depression. So really look at like, what are the thoughts and challenge those thoughts. Uh, Mark Twain, many, many years ago, of course, many, many years ago, he lived many, many years ago. So Mark Twain, back in the day, uh, there was some there was a really long rainstorm and it lasted longer than any other storm. And someone said to Mark Twain, will the rain ever stop? And he said, it always does. Nothing lasts forever. So if you can challenge the thought that, oh, I'm always going to feel this way and look at that, well, that's just a fear. It is not a fact. And think about other things that you have overcome. Um, and this is an addition, by the way, to processing what's making you feel so depressed, but that's very important. Um, and there's de situational depression, there's depression because of brain chemistry. You have to go, go to a doctor, go to a specialist and figure out what's causing your depression, but also look at, well, what is it that, what are the thought patterns that may be perpetuating it or, or making it worse? And remember... Has anything ever been the same always? No, we're constantly evolving. Something in our lives is always changing, always evolving. So challenge the idea of it will always be this way. Nothing will ever change. Sometimes when we say that, what we really mean is up until this point, I have felt terrible. Up until this point, we talk about the future, but we're really talking about the past. I'm going to feel this way forever really means I felt this way forever. So very important to look at the thoughts that are leading to the feelings. And, you know, again, a big part of depression is feeling like you're all alone in the world. And when you talk with someone who understands what you're going through, it helps reduce those feelings of isolation and loneliness. So again, today is my join a support group recommendation. Uh, it helps to talk to a, a, a therapist, a friend, a support group, process your experience. And if you don't have anyone in your life who understands, there are lots of organizations, um, mental health hotlines and uh, helplines that can put you in touch with people who can help and also identify ways to support yourself. Um, and remember, don't, don't dismiss what you're going through as you know, stupid or a first world problem. These are things I've actually heard. Instead, validate and acknowledge what you're going through and it needs your attention, not your condemnation. So thank you so much for joining me here today on The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina. Remember, it really is possible to ditch dieting, stop thinking about food 24 seven and banish binging so you can get back to living your life in a healthy way. I'm here every Thursday at noon Pacific on Voice America. And if you want a deeper dive into this topic and much more, be sure to get your copy of 
my best-selling book, The Binge Cure, Seven Steps to Outsmart Emotional Eating, available on Amazon in all formats. Take good care, and I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina. Each week, she offers valuable insights to stop emotional eating and give steps to lead a joyous life. Tune in next Thursday at 12 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel.